Converting leads, closing deals, and performing amongst the top salespeople in your industry require more than just talent and experience. Hear from the best as we discuss the proven formulas they use to generate new leads and close deals on the science of business development. Hi, I'm Greg DeKalb, founder of Appointments IQ, co-founder of Tony P's Network at Events, and co-founder of Hubio. I'm joined here with good friend, Dean Delisle. How are you doing, Dean? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me today. Dean, you're doing a lot of different things, exciting stuff. Uh, you've been a mentor of mine. I know you have a lot of passion. We got your book here today, which we're going to get into. But before we get into all that, where did Dean come from? I grew up on the streets of Hammond uh, for uh, many people out there, known as the region. If people are familiar with that area, it's a suburb of Gary, Indiana. And uh, rough parts of uh, the streets, you know. And so... Um, my uh, my dad had remarried, you know, we were uh, really in uh, uh, sort of, you know, uh, middle class. They were uh, hardworking teachers and did everything they could uh, to put food on the table. But for the most part, um, I was a wild child. So yeah. I, I grew up, you know, uh, sort of uh, a little less attended as a young child from... Uh, from the time I was born, I could walk, and then uh, we went to England, and I was running the streets of London unsupervised <laughs> with like a rat pack, you know, think of Oliver Twist out there, right? So it was pretty funny. And, um, you know, you learn a lot of skills, but um, you you gain camaraderie, you gain, you gain trust, and, and really, um, you know, as, as fun as it was growing up and sort of being a, a street rat, if you would, uh, and they do call them region rats in the region, okay. just so you know. Yeah, there's a movie I think out on Netflix. Uh, so, uh, but you know, the the funny thing is, it's like it was always like this. You know, at the end of my block, uh, when I was growing up, there was a country club, and you know, we had a small house, and and you know, it was you know, it was simple, <clears throat> and uh, and and you know, there was a country club at the end of the block, and I had a newspaper route, and I would go there, and I'd be like, man, someday I'm gonna get into that country club. Because, you know, they had nice yeah. cars, you yeah. know, and they were dressed nice. And I was like, there was something there. And then um, and then eventually, you know, an interesting uh, a story that sort of hinges on what I teach today is, uh, you know, my parents, uh, Saturday night was special. So, we, you know, they would save their money and they would treat the family to a dinner. And they would go to a restaurant that was a steakhouse in Hammond, Freddy's Steakhouse, by the way, amazing place. But they would go there, uh, they knew everybody, they were regulars, they had their own booth, their own waitress, and uh, and to this day, that's sort of a pretty cool thing. You yeah. walk in, you got your people, you know, people know you. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, but it was it was sort of like they knew the, the owner. And mm -hmm. what I noticed about the restaurant owner is when he would walk from the register in the bar, and his office was right next to our booth. And he always had a wad of cash. And I go, <laughs> I, go I gotta be in restaurants, man, because there there's a lot of cash. Yeah. And that was a big deal back then. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm like uh, 13, not old enough to technically work there. Uh, but I looked a little older. I had more hair, uh, <laughs> good facial hair too. But when, uh, and, I, and I'm like talking to my dad and I'm like, hey, I think I wanna work here. And he's like, well, why don't you ask Mr. Matson? Now, now, Freddie Matson was was a big guy. He always looked grumpy, mm -hmm. you know. He's carrying the weight mm -hmm. of the world on his shoulders with owning mm -hmm. the restaurant and everything. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, he's like, okay. And and he, I could see him making his way around, and I just just stood up. It was like I took every nerve of my body to stand up and look at him. And he's looking down at me. He goes, "Yes, young man." And I go, uh, 
Hi, Mr. Freddie, I would, uh, I would really love to work here. He goes, how old are you? He goes, I, I go, uh, 13. He goes, well, you look 15. He goes, uh, we'll make it work. Come in on Saturday. And I was like, really? It's that easy. So, so there's two fundamental mm -hmm. principles that I learned or felt at that moment. One is, if you want something, don't be afraid to ask. Because right. you don't get if you don't ask. Right. You know, it's one thing to ask, but it, to intend to get. I really wanted that job. Plus, the newspaper route gets rough in the winter, just so everybody knows, yep. <laughs> if you never had one. And so next thing I know, it, from that moment forward, it was, it was really about, it's all about who you know, mm -hmm. really, and it's about asking. Absolutely. If you think of two basic fundamentals, and whether it's sales or it's career or it's anything, really getting to that point of making sure that you really are, you know, all in for yourself and being on your own side. And I don't think a, a lot of people own that position. They, they have other people control their destination. So yeah. I'm really big about taking that ownership. No, I, I think that's uh, I think that's fantastic. Um, your story is, is amazing. It actually resonates uh, personally and with a lot of people that I interact with, uh, humble beginnings, small town, blue collar family, you know, a lot of street education, street smarts, that type of thing. And that to me is intuition, right? People have a natural knack for it and they don't necessarily understand the different things that they're doing to develop business, right? They just call it street smarts or something along those lines. And another takeaway from that story, you mentioned the country club. That's a goal. You know, you saw that. And as a kid, you're not going to sit down and like, be like, I, I want to earn a million dollars or what have you and have like a specific goal. But it's interesting that you recognize that and maybe not put all that together right then and there. And then finally, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, what was it? Michael Jordan said, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. Amen. Right. Yep. So, and it really can be that simple as asking. And what I've found through my sales career is when you ask that resonates with people, they appreciate that. I can, I can think of a, an instant, uh, specifically where a gal came up and she wanted to be a part of Tony P's events and she just simply asked. And I said, yeah, okay. You're, you're in. That's great. You know, I really appreciate someone taking some initiative and just asking. Yeah. So, so a funny piggyback to that, just because yeah. it sort of ties to the country club. So, uh, so Freddie had a, Freddie had a boat called Mr. Martini. I got a job bussing tables and I would work the bar cause that's where all the business people were. And so I watch people networking and doing deals all the time, politicians coming in there. It was really sort of a, a next level thing. Mm -hmm. So I would go out with the cooks and the waitresses to like the pizza place and I would watch them going and leaving and I knew they were going to the yacht, the yacht club on the big boat. So one day I'm like, um, I don't think I'm even, I'm maybe 17 by this time. And I'm like, Mr. Matson, do you need help getting the boat ready? I was like, just ask. And he goes, yeah, that would be great. Could you leave work early? I'll just stay punched in. Leave work early and go ahead and bring a change of clothes. Next thing you know, I was part of the yacht club. I mean, I was hanging out with them, you know. And so it was like, it was different, you know. It was like, it was like I got, you know, more. And I asked, right, to, to, and mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to get to that yacht club. I'm going to get on that boat because all he saw was the picture in the bar. And then I would see pictures from the weekend, you know. And so I'd be like, 
oh man, I'm sitting here. Not that it wasn't fun going to the pizza joint, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more fun. Yeah, it was a, it was a whole different next level. And then, and then just to fast forward, you know, learning and watching and meeting uh, just a lot of people. I would get mm-hmm. side gigs, you mm-hmm. know, uh, all kinds of side jobs I needed. I just asked. These people were at the bar. They were entrepreneurs. They were business mm-hmm. owners. And um, I learned a lot from them at that point. And my goal was to, was to get out. And, and for us in Hammond, it was like you look at Chicago and it's like, I want to get to the big city, mm-hmm. right? That, that's where all the money is. Yes. Now I know I'm going to get into the country club if I can make it to the city. So fast forward, I'm, I'm going to Purdue. I'm still bussing tables. I'm the head busboy at that time. Uh, so so uh, anyway, the CEO of Merrill Lynch was a regular customer. Wow. Okay. okay. So he had his booth, and I took care of him in his dining room when he was in. I made sure. And then I started helping him cater parties. And then I saw the business guys. He lived in Hammond in a nice house, and, and there was a lot of business guys that, that came in, limousines, and I'm like, I want to be able to take a limousine mm-hmm. to work into a party, you know? So you start drawing this association. I was hungry for, the, for that next step. And so then um, uh, I'm helping him cater parties. I'm there at the end of the night one night. It's like 3 in the morning, um, and we're sitting in a stereo room just jamming, and, and I just looked over, and I'm like... Uh, Hey, Mr. Bradley, is uh, what I would like to do is work at Merrill Lynch and the Board of Trade with mm-hmm. you guys. I'm a sophomore in college, and you know I I didn't say that, but I was like I'm thinking to myself, I don't care. I I this is my path. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Dean, I like you, I trust you, you're a hard worker. And he goes, you can start in two weeks. And I'm like, man, I hope he remembers this when he's sober. <laughs> Just <laughs> so ask. Then, so the next day, we're at like, you know, I, I ran over there. My uh, One of my best friends lived next door. We're having coffee. And he's like, you're still in, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. But that was the, one of the hardest things, too. You think about being in that restaurant since the age of 13. Mm-hmm. And now, all of a sudden, you're 19. Mm-hmm. Most of your life, you know, your adult, you know, formation is, is in that spot. It was a hard place to leave. But I was so excited and hungry for, for getting to that next level. Next thing you know, I'm in the Board of Trade. I'm going to IBM school. I switched to DePaul. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of things changed. Right. And that's, and that's another thing that um, you notice with an entrepreneurial's path. It's not just a straight shot. It's a lot of pitfalls, a lot of spikes and everything else that it's a roller coaster ride. Right. More or less. Um, what I really liked about that story, though, is that you paid it forward. Right. You used the word um, help use it a lot. And that's what I think we all need to do a little bit more of is just help people and pay it forward. Um, and in fact, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Zig Ziglar is if you help enough people get what they want, you'll ultimately get what you want, you know? And if you live by that and you practice it, you know, good things will come. So you're, you're hanging out with the Merrill Lynch folks, which had to be just amazing and all that good stuff. Um, so talk a little bit about that, because now you're getting into the finance well, world, and now you're going to be getting into a lot of calls, a lot well, of investing. I, I, yeah, and I stepped, I stepped directly into corporate America. Now yeah. I did it untraditionally. I was the right hand person for the CEO, you know, for like the CEO. But you know, it, it was good and bad. You know, uh, you know, it was a sign of the times. There was a lot of, you know, I, I wanted to get away from drug use and and street fights and things like that. I mean, there, you know, there wasn't there was a many times where I've gotten several, you know, injured pretty bad, and and then you know, drug use was bad and things like that. So I felt like I was getting away from it, but it was crazy that. 
um, you know, I got into Merrill Lynch and it was at the height of people doing cocaine and, and, you know, I just went to a bigger party Mm -hmm. and I was like, man, I really thought I was going to get away from this part of it. So it was, uh, it was tough. You know, a lot of people are like, wow, you were 19 and you got to, you got to party unlimited drug usage and alcohol and, you know, parties all the time. It must've been great. It it got old. I hate to say it. It got, it got old fast. So, so anyway, I, I hit out on the midnight shift. I was going to school. So, and the programmers were making a bunch of money then. So I went for uh, programming certification and I said, look, I started hanging out with the programmers and trying to not distance myself from the CEO, but it just looked like it was headed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So I was like, also like my network, what does my network look like? Well, um, I learned how to write code and develop systems and you know, that's when I really got the, the IT bug. Okay. You know, it was like, I went from hospitality. I thought I was going to be a restaurant owner to all of a sudden I'm, I'm a systems developer programmer. And this is in the early eighties. And next thing I know, uh, you know, the whole ship went down at Merrill Lynch. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the, uh, people got, got busted for excessive drug use and bezeling. It was a whole, it was a whole sorted affair. Well, I was I was connected to senior management. Well, guilty by association, right? Your parents always said you shouldn't hang out with those kids. You know, <laughs> listen to your parents. So, uh, so, but you know, and that's probably why it felt bad because yeah. I could see bad things coming. Yeah, and I had seen bad things up to that point. So I'm like, this this can't be good. But because I, I was I was connected to that, I. I was caught up and I was sort of hung out to dry a few times. And so I got, I lost my first job and that was, that was crazy, man. Yeah, I got all it, this skill, sure. all this passion. Mm-hmm. I was one of the hardest workers that I felt, you know, at the time. And so putting all this effort into it and you get, you get smacked down for that. So I had a lot of trust issues with corporate America, the structure, the politics, the backstabbing that I felt was going on. I was like, well, there's my taste, you know. Most people like, you know, stick it out a little longer. So after I got cut loose, I didn't have quite enough experience to get an equivalent job. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, I wasn't a certified programmer yet, so I didn't have that tag. And I just had to start my own company. So literally, I, uh, I started from scratch. I'm in school. I pull one of those notes off the thing that <laughs> says data entry, Six ninety-five an hour. I'll never forget it. And I was making like 30K and I wasn't anymore so I was like I got to do it so I take I take the the slip and it was at the Chicago uh, Children's Home and Aid Society Mm -hmm. amazing place they do amazing work for kids so I take that and I sit with the president and she goes you know you're way overqualified for this I go I know but I have an ask and she goes what and I go let me write code for free because she was on the system that I was learning. I said, I want you to be my reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I asked her, the CEO, I was like, I didn't, maybe she wasn't even gonna give me the job. And I, and I was the fastest data entry person she ever had, because I wanted to get to writing code, you know? So next thing I know, I'm, I'm going through this, and after three, four months, she introduces me to a lady whose husband is an engineer with IBM, and she's like, this company needs a payroll system written, she goes, will you uh, want to take that interview? And so I take the interview, and it's for 40 hours a week, 30 bucks an hour. Wow. So next thing I know, I'm like, I, I'm, I've got my own company. 
I'm 22 and I've got my own company. I get an office on Wacker and I start coding. <laughs> Next thing I know, it's like I was an entrepreneur Like from that moment going forward. Exactly. And you hear that so often with entrepreneurs, right? They were at the right time, at the right place. And a lot of people will define luck as being at the right time when an opportunity comes along and being prepared for it, you know? And that's a, and that kind of sounds like what what you did. You overprepared. You volunteered your time. You wanted to help. You you recognized that you know there was challenges within the organization. You had enough self awareness, knowing that okay, on the paper I may not be ready for this or may not look like it, but I know with my skill set I can definitely do it. And I want to go help. I want to demonstrate that. Yeah, there was a life lesson that I got from one of the guys in the restaurant. And I'll never forget this. He was like, he goes, I don't care. If you're washing, uh, if you're the window washer at the gas station or you're working the pump or you're busting tables, he goes, you be the best mm -hmm. at whatever it is you're doing and someone will discover you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's held true forever, forever, man. It's like, it's like, it, do, it doesn't matter how little the job is. Um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just amazing, but I don't know if you, if you sort of caught the journey but my network was shifting through right. each journey, right? right? So I went from this restaurant hospitality network, which had a bunch of business people. It was a good mm -hmm. network. I moved on into this corporate network, and now all of a sudden, you know, I used the schools network. I used okay. the Children's Home and Aid Society network, and that's really the premise of everything I teach today is, is building that network around mm -hmm. you to get to the next thing or the next point. So, so the question then I would have for you, uh, is did you actually acknowledge okay i am building a network and did you think about it that way or was it just a natural thing for you and then one day you look back and you say okay everybody's talking about that this networking thing and wow looks like i've been doing this my entire life and i got a pretty pretty decent network i mean how did help me understand that when like when you recognized yeah. that it was uh what you were doing well there was a there was a core hunger um to be to be appreciated to be loved and to be connected and mm -hmm. i i didn't have that a lot of the, i didn't feel that i didn't allow myself you know there was a lot of, of early trauma sorry you'll have to read the book to get that um but there was it's a lot it. there was a <laughs> lot of early trauma through my childhood that led me to believe that i wasn't you know i wasn't good enough you know mm -hmm. so that was, and I, and I think that I was hungry to be recognized, affirmed. And I still feel that today sometimes. Yeah. Like I need to be, I need to know that somebody appreciates me mm -hmm. and it's okay to get paid and mm -hmm. a lot of money and whatever. But at the end of the day, I really like that affirmation, that acknowledgement in doing that, you know? And so, um, I don't know. And, and some people think I'm, I'm crazy. I work too hard and everything like that. But I think along the way, it was because I saw the camaraderie in the restaurant and people were knew each other. Mm -hmm. You felt like you belonged to a right. family. That's why it was hard to leave. More of the relationship versus like the corporate is more yeah. the more, black and white. And and Merrill Lynch was more the corporate. Yeah. And it didn't it felt a little colder. It almost felt mm -hmm. like I was back on the street a little bit. So that's why, you know, the programmers were musicians. You know, I was a I was, you know, I, I used to play the drums and, and some other instruments and I felt connected to them through music. And then I felt connected to them because they made more money and I wanted to be a programmer and they were helping me. Mm -hmm. So they would, they would mentor me, you know? So, so then that transitioned me to my next world uh, of owning a business. And then I used and kept building those networks and transitioning through that spot. In fact, 
one of my early businesses I started uh, was with one of my professors. So again, using that school network. Absolutely. Um, but you know that that seemed to be a pattern of doing that, and not just that, but it was like even going to the next stage of that. One of my clients, I met some of the CPAs, the accountants on there. Next thing I know, they wanted to start a management advisory services department okay. in the firm. So then I transitioned into an accounting firm. <laughs> you know, next thing you know. I'm, I'm a non-degreed professional working in a CPA firm as a managing, like a managing director. Wow. <laughs> a CPA firm. I'm like, how does that happen? You know, it was like, you know, but I was like, I built the relationships. Mm-hmm. I was connected. It was who I knew mm-hmm. that got me in there. It was one of the managing partners. So he was like, come on, we want to do this. And he goes, you know, let's, let's have you, uh, let's have you help us run this. We know your talents, you know, so being affirmed and, and connected and then leveraging that network. It's interesting because you're going into a lot of different industries and you're and you're working in a lot of different disciplines from sales to uh, programming to finance. And there was no real marketing back. I mean, it was advertising back there and it wasn't, you know, it was Mad Men, right? So, yeah. so there was no true marketing or digital marketing mm-hmm. or anything and not, not realizing that I would wind up into so, that. I think what's interesting about the story here is that your uh, tolerance for risk right? Like it it sounds to me as an opportunity came up and you did quick calculations in your head intuitively, you know, and said, you know what, I've got to make a decision on this right now. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to dive into this 100% and we'll see what, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a thing I I talk about called five plays and I I Mm -hmm. grew up playing a lot of sports. I loved uh, football, still do, uh, you know, baseball, uh, did wrestling, martial arts, but Five, five moves. So I always look five moves ahead. Okay. And so it's calculated. So, mm-hmm. so I look and, and with every single thing I do, I can quickly figure, think about the, the mm-hmm. five consequences or moves or mm-hmm. things that could happen. And so as I do that, it, it's really, it's really critical. And then I'm like, okay, that's the best one. Or I'll ask somebody if I'll go, Hey, if I'm not sure I have no problem asking for help. I think that's another big lesson too, is most people are afraid to say they don't know. Right, right. And and that's, that's you got to stop that right now. You got to ask people, let them know you don't know. It's really being authentic, powerful, and it's truly being a, being a thought leader, a yeah. business influencer is, is when you go, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you said something interesting there. Five, the number five, you know, it's, it's because intuitively I imagine you've tried it a few different times and you realize, okay, Five is a good number to figure out if it's going to work or not. Yeah. Going on with the whole networking thing. Uh, and that's where we actually met. Right. Right. Uh, so through Tony P, I remember him talking about Dean Delisle and all the interesting things you're doing. And I remember looking you up and thinking, okay, yeah, this is definitely uh, someone that I need to, to network with. Kind of like what you were thinking. Yeah. Be with on that. my team. Be on my team. Yeah. Exactly. So while, while you were being that busboy trying to figure out, okay, how do I work with the CEO at Merrill Lynch? Right. My track was, okay, there's Dean, you know, doing his thing and I'm beginning my entrepreneurial uh, career. And I'm like, okay, I got to get associated with this guy. How do I, how do I ingratiate myself with him? Right. And intuitively, I knew that you have to give, you know, and I'm not going to, whenever I meet you, I'm going to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I provide value to you, you know, so that you want me around. And then the more I'm around, that's the more I get to convey the value. Right. And this of course works across 
every time you're right. meeting people, I'm just talking about my personal example. Uh, but along those themes, uh, that theme and bear nor, uh, sorry, in networking and vulnerability and open yourself up, you created bear networking, right? Okay. So this is interesting. So talk a little bit about bear networking. What does it stand for? It's funny because uh, because a lot of the methodologies in building the network and, and, you know, when you guys get to chapter three in the book, there's a whole methodology about building an endless referral network. Because, it, it, you know, again, no matter what job you're doing, if people see you, discover you, know that you're good at your work, mm -hmm. they're going to refer you, right? And it's, mm -hmm. that's part of the digital thought leadership and the influence is really not being afraid to put yourself out there and put out there. So with bare networking... I'm like, well, what if I could put people in front of the room that were noted professionals, mm -hmm. you know, in their business, but have them get vulnerable, you know, okay. in, in front of the room? Okay. Would that open up space for everyone to get vulnerable? So it was really about being bare and revealing yourself. And, and I call it the business advisor referral exchange because it was like the minute the advisors would get real, and, and bear themselves in front of people, it would open space for others to do so. And now you would be more, more open to liking the people, trusting the people, and exchanging some referrals. And I said, I want you to be honest. If you're meeting and talking with somebody here, I don't want you to waste each other's time. If you feel like there's nothing there, just say, I don't think there's anything here and move on. Be it's honest. okay. People appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, be honest, you yeah. know? And so I just thought it was a a different thing than, you know, cause at a networking event, everyone's always got this great story and it would take me forever to get someone to, to like bear their soul to get real, mm -hmm. you know? So, so now all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like, why does it take us so long to do this? Time is precious, you know, and I'm a little bit anxious most of the time. So it's <laughs> like, I want to get to it. I want to get to the real stuff. I want to get to the cool stuff. And I noticed too, I would do this with groups of people even way before this is I would get people I would notice that like I'd get the audience. This is a cool exercise. I get the audience. I'd be like, uh, who are my runners in the room? Who likes to run? And I'd have people stand up and I go, now look around. These are your fellow runners. Uh, who loves the Chicago White Sox? And then I would do the Chicago Cubs. You know, I'd like say, okay, who's the Sox fans in the audience? Mm -hmm. I'd go, who likes red wine? And all of a sudden, you know, people would raise their hand. And then, and then I would do this exercise. And at the end, we would film this and I would watch people cluster to those people because they already knew Interesting. that part about themselves. Yeah. They go, oh, and you'd see the red wine people drinking red wine together. And, and I even saw some people like, oh, I want to be associated with them. I'm going to switch to red wine. <laughs> so there was influence in some of that decision too. So, you know, it's always, it's always fun to, to just get people to get to that core thing that they really love. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always have to be business to then to then let the guard down and say, okay, well, what do you really need? How can I help you? How can we help each other and, exactly. get, and get down to that? So, so that's interesting because now we start to start to understand once we're talking to individuals and we understand who they are, then we can make a decision of this is, if, is this somebody that I want to be, you know, friends with partners with whatever the case may be, you can kind of size it up a little bit, but then once you've got an idea of people around you, you can then start building your team. Right. Right. And so talk to me a little bit about, you know, the thought process behind building a team, how you discover your players, how, I, I mean, I read the book. It's very interesting, you know, statistics numbers about bringing people in, bringing people out, you know, so many, 
sports analogies in there. Yeah. So let, let's begin with the with the team aspect of it. Yeah, we call it social teaming. So okay. if anybody Googles social team, I've got videos and articles and, and definitions and things like that. But let's break it down to, to simple sports analogy because that's where it was derived from. So uh, we call it scouting and drafting. In fact, Forward Progress provides that 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 is a service for people that that are a little more intimidated about doing this. So think of the simplicity. So what I did is throughout throughout about twenty years, I had the pleasure of meeting with most of the Chicago sports teams and some out of out of town sports teams. And I think the awakening was understanding the strategy behind how they drafted players. Mm-hmm. And there's successful seasons and unsuccessful seasons. And we know in Chicago, we've lived through a lot of rebuilding, right? The rebuilding. Well, I'm like, well, what if, and, and, and so I was like, well, they're trying to get to the Super Bowl. The Bears want to get to the Super Bowl. The Cubs and the White Sox want to get to the World Series. Chicago was on runs for the championship. So mm-hmm. I knew some shareholders and I got in behind the scenes a little bit and I was able to see like the war room and how do they strategize? How do they pick players? And it wasn't just based on their talent. It was based on personality and who they were and, and their character mm-hmm. and things like that. So it was really fascinating to me. And I said, well, um, and then I was studying successful companies and cultures and salespeople and top producers and people that were accelerating in their career. And I said, well, there's, there's all these synergies here. Those people have an amazing network and, and the career people build a network. In fact, when I teach this in grad school, it's like we have them build a network through alumni because nice. it's a trusted mm-hmm. pathway, right? Mm-hmm. And people forget about their alumni all the time. So I'm like, I'm like, that is the trusted pathway to get you to the next referral, the next spot, the next job, the next promotion. Mm-hmm. I go, and it works 100% of the time, unless you're, you know, make yourself not likable. So it's like you you have to, you you know, it just works. And so- you Find that commonality. And then in sales folks, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. If they have, the, the salespeople that are top producers don't rely on leads. Mm-hmm. It's not about leads. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know how to build rapport, they know how to build trust, they know how to build a network, and they get referrals yep. on their own. Yep. So so I'm like, there's a pattern here. So I said, what if, what if we could make everyday draft day? So, so we, I looked at the science of the, of the size of a team and relationships and what people could realistically maintain. Mm-hmm. And the number, the number came down to 40. In fact, we came up with what's called the ideal 40. So okay. the ideal 40 team, right? So it's the ID 40. So, so if you have, and then we broke the team into starters, bench players, and a practice squad. <laughs> and okay. so, so just to have fun with it, right? Yep. So it's like, you know, and then we would like in the workshops, we'd say, all right, who's based on your goals and where you want to get and whether you're taking your pump, you know, you're going public or IPO or your whatever, you, whatever journey you're on, trying to get your company funded, you're just trying to get, you know, to the next step of revenue. Based on that, who's your number one player on your team? Who's number one? And I would watch people struggle with this. I'm like, why is that? Wow. Why is that hard for people to recognize that the people in their network are not the right people? And there was a lot of aha moments when people mm-hmm. would go. So I always challenge people, just give me the top five. Yeah. Give me the top five starters on your team yeah. that are going to get you to $2 million or get you to the IPO or get you to the next level. Are you playing your team? Mm-hmm. As you're, are you working with your team? Does your, are you serving your team? Are they serving you? Is there a mutuality, mm-hmm. reciprocity in the relationship? And when we broke it down, we just found that most people hung on to people for comfort, 
uh, and, and, and just routine and they fell into a rut. It's almost like when we have bad people working for us, we hang on to them way too mm -hmm. long, right? So, so in this, it's, it's like we saw this pattern for sales, for career, for really anything. And I was like, man, if, if we could teach this in, in college, here's a, here's a funny thing, I'm teaching grad school for the first time. And, uh, and all of a sudden in my class, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm helping them build a network and stuff like that. And I would get to their goals and they're like, when I get my grad school degree, when I get my grad school degree, yeah. when I get my grads and when I get my degree, my degree. And meanwhile, they're not doing anything to move toward what the degree is about. Yeah. Or the, okay. <laughs> so, now you got your degree. Now you're in the work world. Now what? Yeah or, yeah. or people that are that are like on internships that have nothing to do with what, you know, what they're going to. So so within that, we did this experiment. And I think I had 25 Saturday morning students for my first batch or 30 uh, students. And so as we started building the network, connecting them to alumni, I got the university uh, UIC to, to give me permission to give them access to alumni at events for networking. So we had gave them assignments mm -hmm. to, to sort of build a team and, and about. 50% of them got promoted within like eight, wow. eight weeks. Wow. Uh, and, and, and many of the rest of them found their ideal job before they got their, their graduate degree. Wow. So within that eight-week program, they, we saw the change, the transformation. Let's back up just a moment because the, the, the whole team structure is, is exciting. I like it. Um, and then I, think, I feel like a lot of people do this intuitively. They get their, their go-to people, their rocks in, their, in place. You know, they're, uh, a lot of people call it ride and die or whatnot. Right. You know? Uh, what's interesting, though, is you use the number five, you know? And I think that's, that's really, really cool because most people get one or two people and they think they're good. Right. Right. And you're saying, no, 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 no. For the numbers to actually work out, for you and for you to really execute this and get a good stream of referrals, you need to have at least five, right? Yeah, well, and yeah. not just that, you need to have a bench and then you need to yeah. have a farm system. Five, five starters, 10 bench, right? And yeah. 25, uh, uh, well, 25 are the practice squad and then everybody else is so, on the farm team, so. Well, let's talk about the individual for, for a moment doing business development, right? You got the, you got the entrepreneur, they're gonna have a, a different five makeup you know, probably partners, strategic partners, that type of thing. And then you have, you know, the sales executive at a corporation, you know, they're going to have a, a different five. So help us understand like the, the difference of what you might be looking for if you're in those different roles. Well, what's the objective, right? So like right. I said, each one of them have different goals. The person right. in corporate sales has a next quota they have to okay. meet, have a next quota they have to meet. So are those top five players in their network going to get them to the referrals they need mm -hmm. for that, you know, to get the deals for that quota. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what your measurement is. So a lot of times it's interesting. I'll say, okay, so out of the top five people in your network, when we get to those starters, I'll be like, how many uh, referrals uh, have you gotten from them? And so they'll go, Oh yeah. <laughs> so, and I said, what percentage of your revenue are tied to those people? what percentage of your revenue and so now we start doing the numbers and that's where the numbers come in because it's all about money right mm. so now all of a sudden we were like where does how does that how does that look and we start measuring that and now you start measuring i was like well really there's two players maybe mm -hmm. in most cases yeah 
Now let's take these three and put them down to the farm team, and let's yeah. let's draft three more starters. Yeah, because that's what a championship team does. They're always, you know, drafting. Right? Yeah. They're always thinking about. You know, I know I don't want to break up this team, but I probably should disrupt it a little bit so we can break out of the pattern of losing or not winning. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you get to that level of measurement, and you're like you become conscious. Like, and it's funny, I'll call people and they're like, how's your team looking? They go, yeah, it's time for some new draft picks. So really get to that point. As you're, as you're describing it, it's interesting. You use a lot of sports analogies, right? right. So you brought sports into business because it made sense for you. Right. For me, yeah, it was just a natural go-to. And I studied it. I was fascinated and I studied, you know, the bears and the bulls and the hawks and the baseball teams and everything else so I learned the the similarities mm -hmm. in in how that process worked and I just applied it to the way it worked for business people yeah and and conversely you know there was a major movie that just came out or a while ago Brad Pitt Moneyball, yeah, Moneyball you know good. where you're taking the the statistics analytics and you're applying it to to sports right so now now you're working with uh, these teams you're helping them understand how to do business development, set up referral networks uh, amongst themselves. So beyond that, what's what's the next step? Well, here's the thing. So so what I did is I interviewed um, CEO entrepreneurs of small businesses, and I found a pattern. Uh, and I said, well, you know, it was hard to get them to do sales or business development, right? They would get to a certain level of business development, and then all of a sudden they'd do the work. And then they'd look up and they needed more business development. So they would have the peaks and valleys, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, man, there's got to be a way to break this mold. And so what I said is I said, how many people are you willing to talk to a day? I know you're busy and you're in operations, but I just want you to touch how many people a day can you do? And the, and the common number was four. I'll do four. Okay. So then what I did is I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. So we, have, we had them make their team, right? Their top 40 or who they thought their top 40 was. And then all these new people that they might meet at networking events that they thought as they're scouting. And we say, when you meet somebody, you're scouting for your team. Okay. So think in that, in that mindset, you know, right. where you want to go, you know, what the goal is, the type of characteristic that that person needs to have and the network they need to have to help you be successful. So now all of a sudden you've got the 40 mm -hmm. and then you've got the, the business stack of business cards over here. Right. So what I would do is I said, all right. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to contact two people out of your team and all you're going to do is build rapport, build okay. relationship. And we had a relationship scoring system that we gave them. And so we found they were willing to do that because okay. it felt good because it was comfortable. It wasn't yeah. like cold calling, right? It's yeah. like they already knew the people, you know, it's like on their team. So I said, I just want you to build rapport. And then before we even got to the ask or the give of referrals, we made sure that they got to that. So now all of a sudden we get to... Uh, we get to this farm team over here of new business cards, and now all of a sudden it's like, pick two of those a day. Mm -hmm. And just reach out and, and see if it's a good feel or fit. And now what it is is when you're talking to the new person, see if you need to swap out one of the old people. And if not, it was nice meeting you and knowing you, but really I'm focused on my team. Right, and I like that because it's, it's purpose-driven. Yes. Right, when you go out and you're, and you're going about your day, one thing that should be on your mind is this team you're developing and how you have a player that may or may not be, you know, working out and yeah, you're on the hunt for a, for a new team player. And obviously 
you have an idea of what's going to be the right person to, to round out your team yeah. to make you whole. Right. And, yeah. And, and, and something interesting, a lot of people are, are like, like gasping, like, oh my God, I can't, I can't even fathom talking to four people a day. Cause I would get those type of people. They're a little more introverted. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really not as go getters. They can't mm-hmm. see themselves doing that. So I said, okay, let's do one a day. Stay, yeah. stay comfortable. I said, just build a relationship with that team. And if it doesn't feel right, it's time to start looking for another team member. And mm-hmm. so, so we also, you know, would help people not necessarily have to go to the sort of two current people and the two new people. But I was like, all right, well, let's just stay, stay, do one a day. And so we take them to the basics of just yeah. that one a day, just building relationship and rapport. So, so question for you, when you're approaching people uh, and you're, and you know, you want them on your team, right? Is that an open conversation or is that something that you kind of just keep internally and, you know, you plug them in. It's like, okay, now I got my, I got my team rounded out. Yeah. But you're not, yeah, you're not saying, you're not saying, Hey, I'm scouting people from my uh, dra- okay. top draft. No, that's an internal dialogue. But, but okay. what you're doing is you're getting to the real part of the conversation. If, if you really want to have a relationship with that person, right. Does right. it make sense as you're plotting? Like even, even last night at the event we were at, you know, I was like, I met, three people and I was scouting the whole time. Nice. And, and I, and I, and then sometimes I'll tell you or Tony and I'll be like, Hey, this is who I want to meet. And then he'll go, I have someone you need to meet. Mm -hmm. And that's a signal for me because he's one of my scouts and you're one of my scouts. So when I make that introduction, it's like, Oh yeah, I could see that going somewhere. So I, you know, I I have three potential new people that I'm going to be reaching out to from last night. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's all, that was my goal. I wanted to get, I wanted to get three to five and three's fine because I'm super busy. So it's like, I want to make sure, you know, I have time to get to these people. So I've got three good ones. No, that's all it takes. Fantastic. Um, So now just to kind of circle back. So you, you start off in the streets, you know, picking up a lot of information, internalizing a lot of the different things that make business development successful. You know, you went to Merrill Lynch, hardcore, corporate, finance, learning numbers. You realize, okay, there's going to be a lot going on in this coding world and programming. You, you took a risk. Something sounds completely out of what you were doing before. Um, and then you find yourself in an entrepreneurial situation and you start realizing okay you're building your businesses and you come up with the methodology and you formalized it which is great because i feel like there's a lot of people that have internalized you know great content and if they just sat down and they tried to like really put the numbers behind it i think they would find meaning within what they were doing all along right you know um so what's interesting about your story though is you you wrote the book and i feel like that's almost a chapter closing for you as far as like, I know you'll be doing the education and you'll be doing the seminars and things like that, but I feel like you're reinventing yourself because now you're in a CMO role. Yeah. Right. And now it's kind of like, okay, I've been preaching. I've been talking about these teams. I've been doing these things all this, all these years. And now I'm back in the game. I'm a player. Well, yeah, but I am, yeah, so so there's a couple of sides to that. So okay. so with uh, forward progress and and the platform Social Jack, I'm looking at my team and I met with uh, some advisors and I'm like, look, I feel like I'm the problem because what would happen is I would give them most of the stuff to do and then I would jump in and save them. Yeah. 
I, I would just, I would pick up, still pick up 20%, 20% of the work, whatever it was, I would yep. like, I wouldn't give them their chance to shine. So they're like, well, you're the problem. You need to step back okay. from that. So I was in this position of stepping back or thinking maybe to put somebody better in that seat for me, you know, okay. in, in terms of running, running the company. We've had it for 17 years and, and it's sort of, you know, there, there was just something missing there of me taking it to the next level or holding me back. And so, so I was hungry to monetize my network. I have a massive network. I was hungry to, to have a new challenge. So I would always have these roles come, come mm -hmm. to, to my desk that were like, you know, outsource CMO or CSO role. And I, I had taken some of those and those were fun projects. Okay. You know, it's all of a sudden you're all encompassed. You're a CSO, you're a CMO. So uh, actually, one of the gentlemen in my book, Brian Custis, uh, from uh, S2A Modular, I knew he had been working on that. I, I helped him through a few things over time, and he's always used my system, the scouting and drafting and the 202 new system, and he's always trained it and taught it throughout all of his companies for like the last 20 years. So so as, as I'm going through, he calls me up and he goes, hey, I need a CMO, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm at this moment, I'm thinking about transitioning myself in some capacity less into into this company to let you know to let that flourish and let them take it to the next mm -hmm. level. And at the same time, I could I could become a CMO for a company that looks like it has tremendous potential and tremendous legs. And for the first time, I could see a clear pathway to creating success for sales and marketing. Okay. So, so, so I just started taking the things in the book and the things that applied and the things that I knew, you know, I've been doing webinars forever and we took and we went from doing live events to doing webinars and their, their product line is so innovative, so revolutionary. It's high tech. It's not, it's, you know, they're building factories mm -hmm. to build modular homes. And at first I thought, oh, these have got to be mobile homes. You know, I'm thinking to myself, Midwest trailer park, you know, what are we doing? That's, it's not exciting for me. I love commercial stuff and everything else. And they're like, no, modular is like anything you can build outside, but build it in a factory. I go, oh, and then I looked and it was technology from the inside out. Everything is renewable energy and it's all stuff I really knew a little bit about, but the innovation was phenomenal. Wow. So I start looking at high tech, safe homes, you know, safer homes, materials, uh, hemp based materials, organic materials inside the home, better living, more efficiency, lower cost. I'm like, holy shit. It was like a new, a new toy, you know? And so I saw this and he's like, he's like, Hey man, I need a, a CMO. I thought of you first. What do you think? And so we, you know, structured a, structured a nice deal. Uh, it helps support the other company. There's, there's business for forward progress in there. But what was really interesting was I hadn't, when I thought about the team, I looked at the CXO team and we have this powerful nine person CXO mm -hmm. team okay. that challenge each other, that take each other to the next wow. level. And I go, so if we can really connect as a, as a CXO, I mean, some of these people, uh, Reed Kingston just helped Microsoft bail out of a billion dollar uh, situation on their Xbox uh, game, you know, and so things like that. And I'm like, uh, Larry Braden, who was like uh, side by side with Paul Allen from Microsoft okay. and Vulcan Investments. And so these are, this is like an elite team. And now all of a sudden I'm wired and connected to this elite team and things became easier. Okay. So I was like, you know, it was a new lesson for me, a new playground. And I'm able to apply my stuff from the inside, which I think was the big aha moment because I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what? 
you got you got to practice what you preach, man. So yep. I said I can only do that if I go on the inside and I get people to play by the playbook, and as long as we can generate what we say. And so, so since COVID, and I have okay. never and I have never marketed during a pandemic since COVID, we literally went from doing like getting like three three hundred leads a week to like five to six thousand a week. We've generated over a hundred thousand leads during COVID. Wow, that's a, that's amazing, and that's for investors and home buyers and and five different business channels. It's like crazy. That that is amazing. So I know there's a secret sauce in there, right? That's a that's a huge number, three hundred to five thousand. Can you can you give our audience a little a couple of little tidbits? Well, remember we started off talking about digital thought leadership. Right? Okay, being thought leaders in the industry, not okay. being afraid to tell the world. Uh, you know, that you're, that you're really, this is what you stand for. This is what you're good at. Right. So all we did was externalize that. And then we also educated people education. So really education is the key. So it's about, you know, remember how I said I I went into grad school and I started teaching my program so I could, I could see it in action. I could Mm -hmm. see it play. I think it's because both my parents were teachers. I've always had that educational element. Well, I believe and firmly believe that if anybody wants people, you know, to really trust them and know them and do business with them, mm-hmm. um, they need to educate them. They, right. they need they, they can't be afraid to like say, oh, you know, because because back in the old tech days, it was interesting. People would like keep everything close to yeah. the desk. I don't want anybody knowing yeah. my, everyone's stealing my stuff. You yeah. know, I'm sorry. Everybody's stealing everything now. So it's like you might as well put it out there. Be the be first one to put your name on it. Put your name on it. Stamp your name on it. <laughs> there you go. Right. And so, um, so you know, you know, like Al Gore invented the internet. No, I was there <laughs> in the very beginning, Al. Sorry, buddy, man. I was there when we were plugging Merrill Lynch to all the trading systems, and we had a dating service running, you know, with a text screen. So there you go. So the idea was that that um, you know, I think what what you need to do is just not be afraid to put yourself out there. Be a thought leader and teach people this yeah. stuff. And so when we're educating an industry, remember how I said I thought it was mobile homes? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people when they hear, you know, when they hear uh, modular construction yeah. think the same thing. Yeah. So we're educating markets and people are like, I want a home, I want a home, yeah. I want a home. Developers are like, I want to build, I want to build modular construction. And so I was like, wow, it went viral. And now all of a sudden we have over 20 countries as I sit here today. Yep. 20 countries wow. that we didn't market to because it got viral that want to build factories wow. in their countries. I'm meeting with like, I don't know, prince, princes. and <laughs> I'm just like Morocco, you know, hey prince. Uh, so it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm just like overwhelmed and, and I feel grateful, you know, that it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, I don't know if this was meant to be that I, that I put it there. If I, did some of this, or maybe it's the relationship I've had right. with the CEO for 20 you, years that he trusted me to put me in there. You, you put it back in practice and maybe you're, maybe what you're experiencing is a little bit of luck, right? You, you've prepared for it. The opportunity came you, and then being a risk taker, you're in it. And now you're kind of seeing these fruits of your labor of, you know, all these different things that you've done throughout your career. Right. Um, so backing up just a little bit into the business development piece of it, and uh, the numbers aspect of it, the 300 leads, the, the 5,000 leads, and you know how we manage that, right? Um, so can you give that a rough idea? Like, again, those are big numbers. I mean, do you have targets of like, okay, I gotta, I gotta have this many conversations, 
this many appointments oh, without a doubt. to get this many proposals to get this many, you know, uh, contracts. So what I did is instantly, because I knew I couldn't do this on my own is I built a team. Okay. So I built a team that, uh, you know, the sales team was building a team. I wanted to build a team and I'm on the investment side. So okay. I'm also EVP of investor relations. So we have to build factories. We need investors in order to build those factories. Mm -hmm. So we had to build relationships with investor networks to get them in. And we can only have so many, right? You can only have 40. So as we're looking at this, I'm like, okay, as we're coming in, let's profile and identify scouting and drafting for our entire team all the way up to the CEO and who's going to own these relationships. And so we started and wow. we still do. We track play by play. This is a $15 million person. So initially we're taking $150,000 people to a million dollar investments, right? But now all of a sudden I'm like, yesterday I had a person that wanted to buy a factory in New York, 15 million, one conversation, 22 minutes. That could be my fastest $15 million <laughs> close ever. So I'm just like, wow, if I can do this, other people can do it. Let's all do this. So let's properly set expectations. Usually it takes longer than 22 minutes to, to close a $15 but, but million I, dollar but deal. I, but I think it's the Roger Bannister thing. Yeah. Right? When he, did, when he, what was that? The, uh, the 15 minute mile or whatever. Or okay. Four minute mile. Thank you. See, <laughs> you can tell I'm not a runner. That's why I was asking the runner. So, uh, but you know, whatever it was, yeah, I run a 15 minute mile. <laughs> I was built for comfort, not for speed. He's got I'm good numbers MMA, and bad numbers. MMA, fight, MMA fighter, so I'll stand here. You guys run. Um, so, uh, so with that, you know, it was like it was like let's just have the number of relationships and and let's let's keep lift lifting the the bar, raise the bar, mm -hmm. right? So it's like we don't have to have. I mean, we're having twenty five million or twenty five meetings a week. And, and we're closing 150, 150, 150. I said, well, let's have five meetings yeah. with $15 million people. Interesting. And let's, let's, let's flip the script. Yep. And so we just started doing that. Next thing I know, we're like, we've got probably 25 in the pipeline mm -hmm. that are each at 15 million, like within four weeks. Wow. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But but we lifted the limitation that, that everybody, that we needed 50 investors for a factory. We don't, yeah. we need one. Nice. Um, so in terms of flipping the script, it's interesting you say that because uh, a lot of times business development is seen as outbound activity, phone calls, emails, develop, develop, networking, right? We don't, we don't think about the inbound activities. Right. So you were, you alluded something around content earlier and how you developed some content and it ended up going viral. And when that happens, I mean, you have the numbers on your side. What I've, what I've realized is that not a lot of people, like you were saying, are comfortable developing content, putting themselves out there, whether it be a blog, a newsletter, um, you know, an interview such as this, right? Uh, but once you do that and you get it out there, we all know that it takes seven touch points. Well, back in the day, it took seven touch points to get a meeting, right? In today's age, I think you can arguably say it's 13 touch points, yeah. right? Well, you can only email, you can only call, you can only stop by so many times. So um, something you might suggest would like, develop a piece of content and just tap them on the shoulder. Say, hey, you know, I, I put this together. I thought you might find it interesting if it's relevant, of course. Well, so here's the crazy yeah. fact. Here's the crazy fact. So the webinar that we get, uh, let's, let's just say a thousand people to hang in there is two hours long. Remember how we were all doing shorter content? Mm-hmm. And so we challenged that and we said, well, what if we pack it with so much education 
that people don't want to leave. And it's funny because the, the CEO, CEO and I, Brian, go go back and forth around this all the time. It's like, it's too long. It's too, and we run right mm -hmm. up to the clock. You know, I'm like, I need more time at the end for the close. There's a close I want to do at the end. And we still, you know, walk away with 22% with investors, investors, you know, which is what we want to get. But it's funny. It's funny that people are hungry to learn mm -hmm. and they respect us and know us because they're learning. Mm -hmm. And that feels so giving to me. Like, like I, and, and, and what's interesting about this, now what I'm doing is I'm inventorying all of our vendors and suppliers. You'll see that we have LG, Tesla, all these groups. And I'm looking at all these groups and they have networks and they have education and they want to come together. So now, now we're building out an academy to house all this and I want to be the biggest academy in the world for modular construction and renewable energy. So, so question for you. Out of, <laughs> out, of, out of thin air, I was just like, let's do this. Let's be the thought leaders. Let's show the world and not do it alone. So, so it's interesting you were mentioning the team, five individuals, right? But it's almost now, it's like, okay, this is almost a new game. Like I got to create a team with like five different companies, you know, that can yeah. feed me business and things like that. Like the investors networks, yep. and that type of thing. That's fantastic. So what's next for you? I mean, you know, God willing, you know, it, everything's going in the in the right direction is, is to take this to the next level. Who knows? IPO, sell it off at some point. They have a five-year exit on it. Uh, I think this is a game changer uh, for a number of reasons, uh, especially during COVID. Uh, we have a, we, we're building healthier places to live. Mm -hmm. um, we're at a lower cost and we're really helping the world be a better place and we're educating at the same time. So I think no matter what I do after that, you know, as long as I continue to help people do that and to, to help people become thought leaders in their own space, I feel, I feel served because, because now I'm being acknowledged for like knowing it and teaching it. Yeah. So I'm sort of glad I'm putting it out there and, and have it out there. But I just tell people, man, put your story out there, believe in yourself, go for whatever's next for you and don't do it alone. Well, thank you, Dean, for joining us today and sharing your story and sharing your expertise. That was very exciting. Really appreciate it. For our audience, if you haven't had a chance yet, please check out Dean's book, First, The Street Guide to Digital Influence. I highly recommend it. You can learn a little bit more about his team building methodology. If you'd like to contact myself or Dean, please fill out the form below. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Thank you so much.